Hello, everyone, and welcome to By the Way, a Bramley podcast. I'm Laura Lomas, your host, and I kind of can't believe what we're about to do. We are about to talk to a live, walking, talking piece of history, an American photojournalist, the chief official White House photographer for President Reagan and our beloved Barack Obama. He's had two number one New York Times best-selling books, one called Obama, An Intimate Portrait, and one called Shade, A Tale of Two Presidents. He's had a documentary made about him called The Way I See It, and I highly recommend you watch that if you haven't. He is Professor Emeritus of Visual Communications at Ohio University. He has lectured all over the world. He's been on more television shows than I can possibly mention, but Honestly, the reason we're talking to him today is not about those things. We're talking to him because he loves our muse, Brandy, as much as we do. And I want to hear all about that. <laughs> so strap in. Here we go. Welcome, Pete Souza. Welcome, Pete Souza. <laughs> this is such an honor. I mean, genuine, genuine honor. I feel like I'm talking to a piece of walking, talking history. You know, I could introduce you with your staggering list of accomplishments, and there are, it's an enormous list, but rather than do that, would you be willing to sort of tell us what you want people to know, particularly the Bramley? Well, I, I mean, I've had a long career as a photojournalist and photographer, um, starting really in my junior year of college is when I took my first photography class. Um and before I became interested in photography, I was always interested in music. Um, even as a young teenager, um, I had, you know, a record player and I had, I think, like 13 vinyl records because, you know, that's all I could afford and would would um, would play those same records over and over again. And which ones were uh, they? Oh, man, I had uh, CCR, so Credence. It was called Cosmos Factory. I had uh, Loggins and Messina sitting in. I had Santana. I think it was the Braxis album. I had. I was a big Faces fan, fan so when Rod Stewart came out with uh, Every Picture Tells a Story, that was one. Um I had uh, Derek and the Dominoes, the one with Layla on it. Um, and um, those are the ones I remember. I'm sure there were others, <laughs> a few others. but Those are some pretty good ones. <laughs> yeah. And how did you go from, you know, taking photographic classes and being a, a music connoisseur to what you ultimately ended up doing as, you know, the White House photographer for two presidents and loads of other incredible, incredibly important positions that you've held. Well, I mean, I think that as with uh, many people, um, I had a lot, a lot of luck in, in my career, uh, a lot of happenstance. Um, I felt that I worked hard and um, got some recognition as a newspaper photographer with awards and things like that. Um, but a lot of things just kind of fell into my lap, which, you know, happens in life. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's especially matter of fact, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, just things that happen throughout the, or especially the early part of my career after reading Brandy's memoir and, and, and Bruce Springsteen's memoir about, 
just you know the the crazy way we all get started on things and um you know it really has made me think about the luck and the turns that I've taken in my career that uh, gave me the opportunity to especially be Barack Obama's White House photographer, because that's sort of where I think most people know me from. Except for this group, they know me because of um, Brandy. (laughs) (laughs) Can you kind of put your finger on um, one or two of those twists or turns that you kind of look back on now and think, holy shit, how did that happen? Or thank God that happened? Yeah, I mean, um, I was working for small newspapers in Kansas. That's how I started my career. I had gone to grad school at Kansas State University. And the logical next step was to try to work for the big newspaper, you know, the Kansas City Star. And they had a job opening at one point, and I applied for that job with the photo editor. Her name was Carol Greenewalt. And I thought I was going to get the job. You know, I thought, my interview had gone well. I, everybody said good things about my portfolio. And then Carol hired somebody else with, oh, no. you know, more experience than I had. And I was really upset. I was upset uh, that I didn't get the job. I was upset at Carol for not hiring me. But for once in my life, I didn't say anything to her uh, about that. Uh, lo and behold, um, three years, three or four years later, um, she becomes the White House photo editor during the Reagan administration. And when they had an opening on the staff, she went to the chief photographer and said, you should hire this guy, Pete Souza. He's now working at the Chicago Sun-Times. And, you know, one day I get this phone call from Carol saying we want you to apply for this job you know so that's like out of the blue random you know (laughs) (laughs) and it just tells you never burn um, a bridge (laughs) yeah i mean and i later many years later when i was teaching photojournalism at ohio university um i remember my photo the photojournalism class that i was teaching was you know not a big group of kids i said early in the class, I said, um, look to your left, look to your right, look at the person behind you, look at the person in front of you. Don't piss any of them off because someday one of them may be in a hiring position, you know? That's very good advice. So yeah, so you've taught the lesson very, very- um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a direct, um, uh, I guess, direct advice based on experience where I didn't say something to piss somebody off. Because, you know, if I had burned that bridge, you know, who knows where my career would have would have gone. Um, I think still- I, there, there's certainly times in my early career where I said things I shouldn't to some people, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're all we're all young and and stupid sometimes. And are you still in touch with that woman who? Uh, who oh yeah, 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 up? yeah. And she, matter of fact, um, I was just. <clears throat> she was texting me a couple of weeks ago about she lives in the D.C. area about whether to go to Brandy's Wolf Trap 
Joe because she's like many of us were very concerned about COVID and um and I you know and I said well you know Brandy the artist is very aware of COVID protocols but I don't really know what Wolf Trap is doing yes it has put a damper on all our shows I was supposed to go to the um well I did go to Portland to see her in, at the uh, Thompson Point and then was supposed got to go to Tanglewood out. and that all got canceled yeah so oh that wasn't rained out that was she got sick is that right got I think. sick yeah. but there was also a hurricane and there's COVID. Yeah. i mean i'm sure yeah. all of that played a role even though it, you know she wasn't feeling well poor thing there's just so many questions to ask so a little birdie your sister your my dear friend jane uh said that you play the guitar and that your dad had um taught you and that he actually had taught guitar at some point he just talked to us a little bit about that yeah somewhere i've got a picture of me when i was like i don't know six six, seven, eight, something like that. Uh, it, he taught a class and I was in the class. And um, I, 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 matter of fact, I was just playing guitar last night a little bit. I'm trying to, trying to learn Madman Across the Water. You know? oh, that's got to um, be hard. It's not that hard. I mean, it's just the, you know, the chords and stuff like that. Um, um, so I am not... <laughs> I, I sometimes I think I'm not that much better than I was when I was eight years old. I mean, I think part of it was that uh, later I, I took post, you know, my dad's class, I took individual lessons and um, from some uh, music teacher in, in Dartmouth, Mass. And uh, I, I would never practice. I mean, I was more interested in playing sports. Um, and, you know, taking guitar lessons and, and then trying to be ready for the next lesson was agony to me. So I didn't do that very long. Um, I wasn't, you know, very naturally good at it the way my dad was. Um, but I can, you know, I can play chords and stuff like that. He instilled in you a love of music? Um, I mean, the kind of music that he played was not what I was interested in. To be honest <laughs> he wasn't with. listening to your no, your no, finals no. with you. <laughs> no, it was funny because the name of his the name of his band was called. He he had this band that was like a quartet that played at like you know weddings and you know things like that, and and they were called the New Sounds. Uh, and and of course, just to be cute, it was N U then the New Sounds. <laughs> And the funny thing is they played all old songs. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. You know, so. Did he like hate the kind of music you listened to? The, thought it was, you know, all oh, you young whippersnappers don't know much. Yeah. I mean, like he was a big like Chet Atkins fan, you know, guitar player. And um, and yeah, I don't think he was much interested in the faces or Santana, although he probably he. I don't know that he ever knew Santana, but, you know, I'm sure if he had listened to, you know, Carlos play guitar, it's like, you know, one of the greatest guitar players of all time. So he, had, he if he did listen to Santana, he would appreciate the, the, the magic of that guy playing guitar. So how did you go from, you know, being on literally 24-7 following, you know, the most powerful man in the world? behind that lens how, how was that transition for you when that finished to being what you are now now I know that you've written your books and you've had your documentary made about you so you've been super busy 
but you're in front of the camera now instead of behind it. How is how has that transition worked for you? I wouldn't call it a seamless trans transition. <laughs> um, I mean, you have to the you have to realize that for eight years um, it was uh, you know nonstop. I mean. Someone once, well, it was Andy Card, who is Bush's, uh, Bush 43's second chief of staff, uh, said that working at the White House is like trying to sit, take a sip of water from a fire hose that never shuts oh, off. You wow. know, and so that, that's sort of what my life was like for, for eight years, you know, just no, no sick days, no vacations. Um, always, if I wasn't at the White House, I was, you know, on call, if you will. And, the, the, you know, the last year of the administration, I had a, a countdown clock on my iPhone, um, you know, counting the days until the end. And it wasn't so much that um, I didn't give it my all even that last year. It was just that, you know, there was something to look forward to where there was going to be a day was going to come where I was going to not have to carry that BlackBerry with me that was always going off and that, you know, I'd be able to sleep late. I'd be able to go to birthday parties and, uh, and things like that. So I was ready to leave. I, I, no, no question. And then, you know, it was complicated by the fact of what happened in the election, which having served for both, you know, a Democratic and Republican president um, who respected the office of the presidency, whether you agree with them politically or not, I was absolutely convinced that th this guy coming in was not going to respect the office of the presidency. And we were in for, you know, a, a rocky ride. And so those dual emotions were playing out. Uh, especially the, those last couple of weeks as, as it was getting time for us to leave. Um, so there were a lot of crazy emotions. You know, the interesting thing is that one of the things that I did not long after uh, leaving on January 20th, even though I was already starting to work on my book, I took a break and did Kayamo. Oh, and, you yeah. And um <laughs> And that was interesting because that crowd, for the most part, felt the same way I did. And um, they expressed those sentiments. Um, you know, I can't ever forget Steve Earle, uh, who was on that cruise. Um, every time he, you know, yeah, I probably, he probably performed four or five times. He would end every set with we are all immigrants i'm not, i can't even know if that's the title of the song but he would make the whole audience uh sing along with him on the on the chorus and i remember rufus wainwright just going off on stage in in uh, what was happening in the country and so i sort of felt like i was amongst kindred spirits and it and it and it actually sort of emboldened me in many ways to um, continue to, to, to speak out. 
Um, so that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> it's a wonderful answer. You know, honestly, you you kept me going for those four years with your Instagram account because to know that someone who really has his finger on the pulse of what's going on can speak that truth gave me hope, you know? I mean, I'm sure you've heard so many millions of stories from your gazillions of followers and uh, that say the same thing. You know, you really did keep things grounded and real because it was such a freaking mess. Yeah. I mean, in some ways I did it for myself um, because I felt that I had to do something and I didn't know what else to do. And I, you know, I came at it from a unique perspective. And I think I tried to re remind people of normalcy, uh, you know, compared to what was going on. So how do you think we bridge this divide right now between reality and falsehoods and the people who believe the falsehoods? They genuinely believe things. It's not like they're, you know, being disingenuous. It's it's their truth. I, I I'm at a loss. Yeah, I'm at a loss too. I mean, um, you know, why are we where we are? Where you know, uh, I, um, I probably would have gone to Red Rocks had had we not been still in the middle of uh, you know COVID. I mean, why are we there? It's because there there is that group of people that just do not believe in science and facts, and instead are believing. The opposite you know um but i don't want to like <laughs> i know we, we go on that nasty rabbit hole all right so back to you know the work that you did before we get into the music and the brandy which is really the point but i just because you're who you are i can't skip over all of this what is like if you could narrow it down to just one or two things the things that you're most proud about that you did uh when you were working for president obama uh, I mean, the, the, I was, um, you know, I guess I'm most proud of the archive that, that I created, you know, all, uh, every, every photograph is now at the National Archives and, and I, and I feel that I did a good job documenting his presidency. Uh, we, um, I'm also proud of the information that is attached to each photograph, um, which will be invaluable to uh, historians. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, uh, of, of the archive that I created. What does that feel like, Pete, to know that, you know, after we're all gone, your work lives on forever. I, I can't imagine what that would feel like. Well, I hope, I hope there is a forever. I mean, I hope that our, our democracy <laughs> survives and, um, the, you know, and I hope that digital files <laughs> survive since every photograph was a digital uh, file. Um, but I think it was more apparent to me when I, when I heard a, a, an old talk by LBJ's photographer, um, when, he, when he mentioned that he hoped people would be looking at his pictures, you know, 500 years from now. And I was like, whoa, that's, a, you know, and I, you know, so I, it's, this archive will hopefully, you know, if we survive as a, as a nation, will be available in 500 years when we're all gone, you know, and there'll be a whole new, 
um, several new generations that will get to see these pictures and get a sense of what it was like during the Obama administration, what he was like as a human being. And I think you can see that and feel that through my images. So I'm proud of that. Um, and uh, it's, it's a sat, you know, satisfying feeling, I guess. What do you think about like, you know, since you've been a photographer, the, the advent of cell phones with computers on them and how those cell phones have played such a monumental role in, um, you know, major cases, you know, whether we're talking about the Black Lives Matter um, situations with, with all, all of that, or whether we're talking about George Floyd or whether we're talking about, you know, any of the other countless number of um, people who thank God for a cell phone being present. Otherwise we wouldn't know the truth. How, how has that kind of changed um, journalism and the way that people see what's going on out there? Well, that's a good question. And, and there's so many um, roads that I could go down and answering it. Um, I will say, since you brought it up, that the resurgence, the necessary resurgence of protests surrounding Black Lives Matter is uh, due to the actions of a 17 year old kid, you know, Dar Darnella Frazier is the high school kid who had the presence of mind to film the, the George Floyd murder. She didn't know it was a murder while it was happening. Um, and, you know, she, I, I've been lobbying that she should get the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Oh, that's a great, oh, I've because, you know, she, it, it wasn't one of those videos that you often see where you kind of can tell what's going on, but not really. And it's all shaky. And, you know, that girl, I shouldn't call her a girl because she's a young woman, uh, but she was a teenager at the time, you know, held her shit together and made it crystal clear what was happening. And that's all due to, um, you know, the technology of everybody has a smartphone um, and the capabilities are pretty good for visual, rep, you know, uh, recording. Um, but on the other hand, with everybody having a, a phone, there's like, we're flooded with images and it's, it, it's hard, you know, if, if you fl flip through, Instagram, everybody has an Instagram account. Everybody has Facebook. And, you know, no offense, there's a lot of shitty pictures being posted, right? And so do are people able to recognize not only good pictures from bad pictures, but authentic pictures from inauthentic, inauthentic pictures? Mm -hmm. Because it's so easy to um, manipulate an image and post something that's not real and so that's that's a little dangerous and so i think we still need i think the work of the photojournalists is is more important than ever i mean there there's the, we we you know we just had the uh, 20th anniversary of 9 11 and seeing 
some of my uh, the work of some of my colleagues who were there that day in New York on on 9/11 and the, the extraordinary work that they did, um, and then also the the chaos surrounding uh, the end of the Af Afghanistan war. Um, there are some brave photojournalists like Marcus Yam from the LA Times and Victor Blue. Uh, freelancer for the New York Times um, that were giving us a firsthand visual account of what was taking place during during those, you know, chaotic, messy, but necessary days of uh, the end of the war. So I think, you know, the, the work of photojournalists is as important, if not more so than 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 ever. So our darling Brandy. You know, how, how did you meet her? How did you guys become BFFs? Give us some scoop. <laughs> you know, I first met Brandy, um, you know, and I like, it's funny, I can't remember the year. It was either 2005 or six. She had opened for Sean Colvin. There's a little music theater in uh, the DC area. It's called the Birchmere. It's in Alexandria. It's like 10 minutes from where I lived. And um, so I was, you know, I was a big Sean Colvin fan. And uh, I uh, went to that show and Brandy opened. I, I, that's funny, the things you remember. I remember the twins did not have any shoes and socks on. That's like the <laughs> one, sort of the one thing I was like, who are these? Who are these guys, you know? And um, and then during shot uh, during the break, uh, so when after Brandy and and the twins and Josh, Josh was there too, did, did their set. Uh, Brandy uh, went to the merch desk and was you know was signing CDs for people, and so my uh, now wife and I were there and. I think we, I think we got like three CDs. I can't, we, 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 we got at least two CDs. We might've gotten three that she signed and I'm, you know, met her, said hi to her, but you know, that she probably does, you know, had done that with thousands of people, you know, during that tour. So it wasn't any like I, Oh, I met Brandy then I met her, you know, uh, you know who you no, were? What's that? Did she know who you were? No, no, because I was like kind of a nobody. I mean, I was just a, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a Chicago Tribune photographer based in D.C. There'd be no reason for her to know who I was. I was virtually unknown then. Um, I guess she was, too, <laughs> in some ways. And then uh, and then during Sean's set, um, she... Sean called Brandy out on stage and they did Calling All Angels. Um, and I was like, that was like, to, to hear the two of them together, I was, that made me pause. So, um, you know, and then the, the next year I listened to that CD all the time and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then in 2007, when the story came out, I got that CD right away. And when I listened to the song, the story, I was like, holy shit. 
you know, it just, I mean, I had chills listening to that. And uh, not long after that CD came out, I quit my job at the Chicago Tribune. It had just been bought by a real estate magnet. And I just was not, I just wanted to get out. It's funny because I had, I had covered the start of Obama, you know, Obama announced that he was running for president in February of 07. So I covered the start of that campaign. Um, the story comes out. I quit my job. I moved to Ohio to take a teaching job at Ohio University. And um, I would start every class playing a song of my choosing, you know, Bruce Springsteen. So I started, that's when I started playing Brandy to these kids and like, they had no idea who she was. And so I was trying to educate them. Funny funny part about it is they would come up to me and go, do you know the Abbott brothers? Do you know their music? I had never heard the Abbott brothers. And that's how I got introduced to the Abbott brothers was through my students. So it was reciprocal. Nice. Um, and then for the, the the end of the class that year, we uh, the, the photojournalism students, I put together like a little slideshow of their best work and did it to the story. To come full circle with that, there was a kid in my class, but I call him a kid, he was 20 years old, uh, Alex Snyder, who had never heard of Brandy Carlisle. And he was blown away by the story. He went and... Uh, saw her at Wolf Trap um, and, and posted about it on Instagram, uh, that, that basically that exact story. Oh, that's um, fun. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of nice. So then in 2008, I, I published a book on uh, Obama's rise to power because I had all these exclusive pictures of him when he was senator I traveled with him when he was senator to five countries. And um, this is when nobody really kind of knew who he was and had all these just behind the scenes photos. So I put together a book. Wait, I'm going to interrupt you. Did you have a sense back then when you were traveling around with him that this was going to be a man who was going to be president? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't know he was going to be president. I knew he was going to run for president. I, I was convinced. I was like, this guy, he's a one in a one in a generation politician. Uh, he was also a great photographic subject, meaning that, uh, you know, the presence of my camera didn't bother him at all, which was, you know, is the kind of subject that you want as a, as a photojournalist. Um, so I published this book and I was like, all right, I'm going to get a copy of this to Brandy Carlisle, you know, because uh, I, I, had started to learn more about her. And I was like, she's going to, she's going to like this guy, you know? And, um, and, and my contact was Mark, Mark Cunningham, longtime manager. And so Mark and I became sort of email buddies, I guess, if you will, you know, um, and then jump ahead to, and then I saw Brandy, you know, between 2007 and 2010, I, I saw her a few times in concert when she was near DC. And I think I probably, I met her probably each of those shows. And then, um, but it wasn't really 
you know, much of a connection at all. And then in 2010, I'm now at the White House. We have this annual 4th of July concert on the South Lawn. Um, it's for military families and, uh, and also staff, uh, White House staff and, and their families. And they had, uh, they always used to have two bands, um, you know, an opening act and, and a, the big, so they had, um, they had this lineup. It was going to be the Killers and Bruce Springsteen. But Bruce hadn't 100% committed yet, you know, <laughs> um, the Killers had. And so about, I don't know, two or three weeks before the 4th of July, um, they got word, or I don't know how these things happen, but that Bruce was not, in fact, going to uh, come to the White House. And so they were scrambling to get another performer. And so I just went and lobbied like hell for, <laughs> for Brandy. I went to the, the social office, who uh, White House social office, who puts these events together. And it was just, I was relentless. Well and um, and they were like uh, running it up the chain, you know, and then meanwhile, I'm getting in contact with Mark and saying, this is not an invitation, but is, is Brandy, you know, available 4th of July? And, you know, she had a, a, she was open in her schedule. And so that made me even more emboldened to, you know. <laughs> um, and so finally, uh, finally, uh, the, everybody coalesced on uh, uh, Brandy now would open for the killers. Um, and, you know, and I remember emailing Mark and just saying, get ready for a phone call, you know. So I was like really, you know, happy about that. So um, the uh, so that's really first when when Brandy came to the White House. That's probably the first time I really kind of fully uh, uh, met her, and then subsequent to that, just uh, kept in touch with her, and you know, and then Tell over the, the story year about your your wedding. Oh yeah, so. Oh yeah, that little thing. <laughs> no, there's there, there's a there's a part of this story that I don't even think that that Brandy knows about. But so in 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 2013, um, you know, I've now been in the White House for four plus years, and President Obama had gotten to meet Patty, my partner, significant other. We had been together quite a while, like <laughs> 15, 17 years or something oh, like Jesus that. Feet. And so he's like, he's saint. <laughs> yeah, so he's um, started this sort of pestering campaign. Like, why, why, why won't you get married? And <laughs> well, why don't you, you know, if you ask her to marry, we'll have, we'll have the wedding in the Rose Garden. I was like, oh, you know, that's like, I don't want to do that because then that opens a whole can of worms for you. And he goes, no, this is just for you. I'm not doing this for anybody else. Um, and so uh, he was relentless. And I finally, it's like, I finally decided, well, this is the right thing to do. And he actually helped me pick out the engagement ring. Um, and 
and so I can't, and, and so in 2013 was the first time that Brandy was going to, was going to headline at Red Rocks. And so I came up with this plan that uh, I would propose, you know, at, at the show, at the Red Rock show. And um, if you're <laughs> The, the anybody that was there in 2013 the at Rocks, that was the storm of all storms <laughs> and um patty and i had gotten up to the the back gate at at the venue um and i i don't we had arranged something with mark i don't even remember exactly what happened but we ended up getting stuck outside the entrance when the storm happened and we just got I mean, it was, it was scary and we got like completely soaked and um, I had the ring in my pocket and I was so wet that there's no way I was going to go to the concert is what, I mean, it was just a disaster how wet I was because I was wearing jeans and they were soaked. And so I ended up having to, after the storm passed, got on the bus to go back down to the parking lot to the car where I had a pair of shorts and I, they were dry and that's all I cared about. And so I got, <laughs> I got a new t-shirt and a new pair of shorts and left the jeans in the car with the ring in it, <laughs> you know? So I kind of blew that whole <laughs> plan, you know? Um, and then um later that fall so i think it was like in no it was the next month brandy was at uh um wolf trap and so i'd gone to wolf trap and by then i had officially proposed to patty and we were planning the wedding for october and so i i <laughs> catherine was there i said uh i i said to brandy i said you know we'd really like you to you know, perform at the wedding. It may be just like one song, but really one. And Catherine was like, don't do this wedding without us, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, then it was pretty funny in terms of coordinating her schedule and President Obama's schedule on what day would work, you know? So we picked a, we picked, we picked a day that was open for president Obama and that, and that Brandy said she would be, you know, she was open that, that Saturday. Um, and so that's how all that came about. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I love listening to Jane's version of this story. Cause she says she's standing there and, you know, afterwards, everybody's rushing up to talk to president Obama. She's saying she rushed over to talk to Brandy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the, so the, what we ended up doing is we had a very short ceremony in the Rose Garden. And it was on the, there are these steps that come down from the colonnade. And so um, um, when, when uh, Brandy was walking down the colonnade or before she walked down the colonnade, Brandy and Tiffany did Calling All Angels, which if you really know the meaning of the song was not like sort of appropriate, but the feeling of the song yes. was appropriate. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Tiffany was so nervous too. Um, 
And then, well, I, to, to back up one second, um, it was a very loose atmosphere. It was on a Saturday and, and the Secret Service had been told, you know, just be chill. <laughs> so at one point before the wedding, uh, Brandy, the twins and Josh, Tiffany, were all in the cabinet room. That was their green room. And um, the president's still in, in the residence. He hasn't come over to the West Wing yet. And so I went into the cabinet room and I, grant, I, I grabbed Brandy and I said, come with me. And we walked into the Oval Office and I said, here's your one and only time to ever play a song in the Oval Office. <laughs> And so she uh, played, if there was no you, which she was going to play outside in the Rose Garden, she played it in there. And the Oval Office, you know, is, it, is that dome-shaped ceiling. And the, her, you know, with her voice, the echo of her voice in that room was like just amazing. And there had been a Secret Service agent outside what's called the front door um, while this was all happening. And after Brandy walked out, I looked at that agent. And I said, that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he agreed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Brandy and Tiffany saying, calling all angels. And then I had emailed Josh when, when Patty walks down the colonnade to come to the ceremony. Can you do Canon and D? You know, which is kind of like a big string song and thought it would be appropriate. And Josh didn't know the song. So he was, he told me later that he had, he had the music on the plane and was like going over it in his head. And then just before the wedding, Brandy said, uh, well, is it okay if I play chords when Josh is doing Canon and D? And I'm like, whatever you want to do is fine with me. Um, so uh, then you know, we did the ceremony and then at the end, uh, Brandy and the twins and Josh came up and did If There Was No You. Um, and, I, and I have to say that they were literally three feet away from the president of the United States while they, <laughs> while they were uh, doing this. So that had to be intimidating to them, I would imagine. Did Barack Obama enjoy the music? Oh, for sure. <laughs> For sure, he had heard me relentlessly talking about Brandy all these years and, you know, had met her at that Fourth of July concert. It, it, there's so many things going on. It's that he's not really listening to the concert, per se. So I don't, I don't even know if he caught any of her set at the, at the concert in 2010. One more thing on the wedding is uh, the, the we had a reception at uh, one of our local uh, restaurants and we closed off half the restaurant and had an expanded uh, a group of friends for the for the dinner and reception and and Brandy and the twins and Josh did a like a 40 minute set and and Brandy let me pick the 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 the, the song list which was kind of nice and then it turns out there were some audibles because my wife wanted the twins to do sound of silence and um, and, and Brandy did, if there was no you again, which I, you know, I hadn't put on the, the reception playlist, but, and they, and that was the, actually, that was the first time that I heard the expanded version of pride and joy. 
and even without the drums, uh, it was rocking, you know, and Josh was just, it was great. <laughs> I can hear yeah. it in my head right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Josh who told me when they were going to do Pride and Joy, he said something like, to, he said something to Brandy like, are we doing, you know, A or B? Or I guess that's the way they, and, you know, and Brandy supposedly said, B, they can handle it or something like that. <laughs> High praise. <laughs> Excellent. So was it after that wedding that you guys became such close buddies? I think we had become buddies before that. But, you know, obviously when somebody plays at your wedding like that, that, you know, deepens the, the uh, relationship. Did the um, photographing right for for so many of the um, was it inside of the album? Yeah, I mean it. It was um, you know I had photographed some of the shows subsequently, and then when I left the White House, you know I saw Brandy at Kayamo, and she was talking about th this new album, and I was like, well, can I? I want to come to the recording studio, you know. Um, would that be okay? And she said, yeah, that'd be great. So I was thinking like, again, I'm in the middle of doing this book, my Obama book, but I figured I could take two or three days to, to go to Nashville. And so photographed a couple of days in the studio when they were recording that record. It was on that trip that I made that picture where, you know, the twins are hugging her outside this restaurant in Nashville, just kind of a grab shot. Then once they had finished recording the album, uh, Brandy was communicating with me about coming out to Seattle to do some photographs for the for the record. And uh, she and Catherine had been looking at some of the intimate photographs that Linda McCartney had made of Paul and his kids when they were growing up. And was really taken with those. And, um, and so Brandy, you know, asked me if I, if I'd come out for like a week, um, and stay, I stayed actually in the, uh, there's like, a, they have a little bedroom. I don't know if it's still there in the below the studio, which now the, the studio where all the quarantine shows were. So I stayed, uh, there for, for, for like a week, I think. And, uh, and, and Brandy's like, just, do your thing, you know? So basically <laughs> I was photographing every day, whatever they were doing. Um, uh, you know, Brandy would joke that uh, she'd wake up and I'd already be in her house because <laughs> uh, making coffee. Cause I was like, I had to have my coffee when I woke up. Um, and uh, we had, there was only like one formal shoot day which was they wanted to spend a day on whitby island just running around we went to fort casey and um and and that was that was the only day where where i was sort of directing them in terms of uh um uh trying to do photos of uh brandy and the twins in various locations and then um that you at, took that kind of silhouette photo of them yeah so that was at the end of the day and i was like i think this might make a picture like if i have you guys walk up this hill and i'll shoot it with a longer lens i think it'd be kind of a cool picture and i had them walk back and forth i don't know three or four times and tim thank you very much 
<laughs> you know, at one point it just leapt up in the air, you know, totally unexpected. And ca I captured that uh, picture and that's, you know, one of the ones they ended up using inside the record. People have had that image tattooed on their body. Yeah, I got a I got an email from somebody the other day that they're they asked me if 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 they could make a guitar strap with that um, based on on the photo uh, for for charity, and and I said sure that'd be fine. It is a fabulous photo, and I also love the one where they're all fishing. Yeah, Brandy loves that picture where uh, she's like walking into the water. She's got her hat on. And um, also, I think I posted on Instagram, might have been on Phil's birthday a while back, where it, Phil came and joined her in fishing, and he fell in the water. And I've got the whole <laughs> sequence of him falling in the water. It's pretty funny. Oh, you're going to have to share those with everybody now that you told us. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Wow. <clears throat> So is there anything about our brandy that we don't know that you can clue us in on a little secret? <laughs> um, you know, I, the, the, the thing about brandy is she is who you think she is. I mean, she, um, you know, there's, I wouldn't say there's two sides of brandy, um, but there's, there's the, uh, you know, the, the quarantine show showed you who she is at home. That's, that's the way she is riding her quad and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, she's also for two hours, two hours a, a night, she's a rock star and has even elevated her game at, at, at that. One of the, when, when her memoir came out and I was interviewed by, um, the writer for the New York Times. I think her name was Amanda Hess, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, so I did, you know, I don't know, 30 minute interview with uh, her about Brandy. And as with most interviews like that, they'll find one or two quotes and then, you know, stick those in the story. And, and the, the one quote that, I, that didn't make it into the story, but to me defines Brandy Carlisle is I said something along the lines of that she was the most um, determined person I'd ever met, whether it was determined in writing a letter to convince Barack Obama to write the forward for the anniversary of the story uh, that cover cover stories, or if it was trying to grow the best tomatoes in her backyard, you know, it, she is as determined a person as as I've ever met. Where do you think that comes from? I think she pretty well shows that in the memoir. Uh, I think that um, you 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 see it when you. When you hear, you know, hear, hear, I mean, I listen to Tiffany's podcast. I think it's just ingrained in her from childhood, you know, that she was determined to, to make it as, as a musician. You know, I went to the Grammys when she, when she won the first time. And it was so, um, so glad I was in the audience 
when when she did the joke before that national audience because it was like just chilling to be there i mean i wasn't even that close to the stage but you could feel it throughout the arena how she just crushed it matter of fact i got a text from from barack obama like you know two minutes later after that performance and he just wrote brandy crushed it you know, oh and, you know, and I was kind of like, <laughs> see, man, this is what I've been trying to tell you, you know, yes, for, yes. but the, the, so that night they had, a, they had a little, a little dinner that my wife and I got invited to. And I remember going to Brandy and I said to her, um, you know, she just won three Grammys. She just crushed it on national television. Um. And I, I said something to her like, um, uh, I'm glad this moment is happening to you now, as opposed to when you were 20, because now you're ready for it, you know? And, you know, I do worry about these artists that hit it big when they're too young to really know what it means. And Brandy's so grounded that, um, you know, I think it, I think she, she was obviously ready for for prime time, and um, I thought in the, in the weeks leading up to the Grammys, all the interviews that she had done, you could tell she was ready. You know, she had a platform and she knew what to say and how to say it. Uh, and and I think it would have been more difficult if she had reach that kind of acclaim when she was 20 or 22. You know, it's funny, you mentioned how she had a platform and she knew what to say. I immediately makes me think about the high women as well. In the way, whenever you saw the interviews, Amanda, you know, was the one who sort of got that ball rolling, but she would start to talk and she would always say, just defer to Brandy, just say, you take it, Brandy, I, you, you describe it. Because I think she's such a grounding force, you know, and, and she is so eloquent. Like, you know, one of the, when you hear her speak and the way she formulates things so quickly in her mind, on top of her you know, musical talent, she's so, so wise. Yeah. And, and you know, and I think that um, you think about the, well, I mean, she writes about this, but the, the choice of uh, partnering with Tim and Phil. And, um, uh, you know, the one anecdote that I'll tell about them is going back to the time I was in Nashville when they were recording the album. And um, I think it was actually right after that picture was taken where they were kind of hugging her. We were waiting for the rental car to be pulled up by the valet parking and uh, got in the got in the car with, uh, with them. We were going to go back to this house that we were staying in just outside of Nashville. Maybe it was in Nashville. And they were recounting the day in the studio, which had had some challenges. And I was just, you know, a silent observer, if you will, or listener. I wasn't participating in this conversation. And I don't want to uh, go into the 
you know, the details of what was said because that's between them. Um, but it really <laughs> impressed upon me how much that was a three-way partnership that the, the band is. Um, and, you know, Brandy's the one that's out there publicly and, um, you know, the, the band's titled in her name. Um, but Tim and Phil are um, equal partners when it comes to creating that, that music that they do. So I think, I think people realize that. I think this group realizes that. Definitely. Not, probably not, you know, uh, the outside uh, world as much. Well, there's something that I was just curious about, you know, when you, when you, you've been following her music as long as I have, and, you know, the, that early days when it was just Brandy and Phil and Tim standing up there, and then with the advent of Josh, and then the drummers, whether it was Allison or Chris or whomever, and, and how she sort of went from just being Brandy Carlisle on a stage to being Brandy Carlisle, the band, and how that has kind of shifted in the different styles and kind of right up to now where she's now this like, I don't know, I call, I'm calling her rocket woman instead of rocket man, like this kind of Elton meets David Bowie with the makeup and the glitz and the hair. And it's, it's so much fun to watch her, you know, go through all these different iterations and yet still be herself. <laughs> she's still very much her at the, um, I was looking at the gorge, I was watching the gorge uh, streaming and, you know, she was all glitzed up and then she puts on her old brandy guitar with the brandy and she starts singing hard way home and this like glitzy outfit for you as someone who knows her personally have, have you seen how anything has changed behind the scenes with who she is as a person or is she still what she seems to be which is just authentically brandy kind of playing dress up now in this really fun way yeah i mean if you if you go i mean i haven't seen her for a while then you know i did a zoom with her when her book came out um but just because of covid you know i she hasn't played Thank anywhere <laughs> What's that? Shady Pete. <laughs> we had that little thing yeah, yeah. with you with the, with the thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I've had communication with her, you know, ongoing. And, but she, no, she's not, no, she's not any different. I mean, it's who she is. I mean, she, she's grounded in the sense that, yeah, she's got a new hairstyle and new clothes. And, but underneath, she's still the same person that, you know, she has always been i mean we all grow and and change but as she, fundamentally her character hasn't changed at all pretty it's unique. pretty unique i think that again i think it's because she has gotten this acclaim she wasn't a 20 year old she was a late 30 year old which i think is healthy um and uh you know just forever proud of her i mean i have to say that the um i actually had a conversation with her one time about um that she's only a rock star for two hours a night you know the rest of the time she's you know just brandy right i mean now it's probably longer than two hours a night because she's doing you know, interviews and, and, and things like other, other projects so that sometimes it's longer than that, but you know, she's still, she's still the same. I, I, it, I don't know what made me think of this, but I got one other anecdote to tell you about Brandy that 
tells you something about her and probably something about our relationship is um, at the opening of the Obama Foundation, the inaugural Obama Foundation event, which if my calculation is right, was in the spring or summer of 2018. If Again, I'm not so great at years and stuff like that. And so um, they were going to do this concert at the end of the this two or three day event. And they had a whole bunch of, you know, people lined up and they realized they didn't have enough female artists, you know, and they like, for whatever reason, forgot about thinking about Brandy. And then, so I get this phone call, like just a few weeks before. And they're like, can you find out if Brandy's available, you know, for this Obama foundation event? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll text. And I can't remember if I texted her or, or Mark or whoever. And yeah, she was available. She was going to be in London. So it'd be a little tricky. And uh, they just wanted, you know, Brandy solo is, is the, the way, you know, I was supposed to present it to them. And, and of course, you know, Brandy's like, that's going to be the band. You know? <laughs> Good for her. And so uh, this, this is going to be in Chicago. So I, f- I flew in like the day before the, the, this two or three day event started and the concert was on the last night. And I am literally on final approach into Chicago. I'm on a Southwest Airlines flight where like we haven't touched down yet. And my phone rings because, you know, the cell signal has come up and it's Brandy calling me from London saying she was really sick and she didn't think she was going to be able to make it. And she's mortified that she's going to let down Barack Obama. And I said, Brandy, I said, you got 48 hours (laughs) to get better. And I would like not cancel your flight yet from London and see, you know, if you can get yourself in a position to sing. But if not, I will go to President Obama and he will not be in the least upset if you can't make it. Because he will understand what it means if you're so sick that you can't sing, that will not be a problem, you know. Um, so I think I kind of reassured her. And, you know, a short follow-up is uh, Brandy got better, came to Chicago and absolutely crushed it. Of course she did. <laughs> and that was the real first time that President Obama saw her sing like that, you know, with a band. Um, and he was like so impressed. Those are great stories, Pete. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm going to let you go, even though I would love to talk to you about Bruce Springsteen and the Luminaires and the Abbott Brothers and everything else. And I would love to talk to you again. Maybe we can do a Pete Souza part two next year. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll end on this note. And that is um, through both Brandy and my time at the Obama White House, I've gotten to know um so many musical artists which has been nice um including lumineers 
Abbott brothers, um, Sean, you know, I got to know Sean Colvin. I had never really met her before. And so that that's, and, and Bruce got to know Bruce a little bit, um, which has been, which has been nice. So I think in my next life, I'm going to come back as uh, Danny Clinch and, and be the hundred percent music photographer, <laughs> or, you know, or maybe I'll come back as the tour photographer. Yes. Yes. Um, and I enjoyed the, uh, the podcast that you did with Hannah. I listened to that and I'm, I'm a big fan of Hannah's not only her work, but she's just a great person. Uh, I love all those guys to death and you know, it, it pains me that I haven't seen them for a while, you know, but well, are you uh, going to be in Mexico? You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm still a little skittish. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that everybody that's going is, is, is vaccinated, you know, just cause I know her fans, but there's also, you know, 600 people that work there and, you know, you sort of don't know. So I, I don't know. I'm going to make, I didn't, I didn't get a ticket. Um, I, I'm sure that I could, uh, if, if, if I decide to go, I'm sure I can figure out how to get a room from somebody. <laughs> you can you bunk know. with me. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just get an extra roll away bed. <laughs> All right. And I will just say thank you to our darling Pete Souza, the one and only icon walking around the world that, has has had his his uh, lens up in front of history and who loves our girl Brandy as much as we do. So we say thank you. And um, hopefully we can do this again. And hopefully I'll see you in Mexico. Well, thanks, Laura, for having me on. And big shout out to the to my fellow Bramley, because I, <laughs> too, am, am a member. Yes, you are. We love you. Thank you okay. so very, very much. <laughs> that Take was really care. fun. Just incredible. Thank you, Pete. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time out of your incredibly busy day to speak to us. I hope all of you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed talking to him. Uh, what? Uh, I don't even know what to say. He's incredible. Uh, so please share that with as many people as you can because it's they're just such great stories, such great stories. And thank you again always to Darling Clue and my friend Amy Wojcik for helping with this podcast. Clue does all the editing. She has the hardest job. And Amy helps me very much with all the questions so I can get in the right headspace to do this. And thank you, of course, always to Brandy and Phil and Tim and Josh, everyone on the compound. We love you all and so proud of all of them with their, you know, number one album oh my god it's so good it's so good and we all get this beautiful tour that we get to all enjoy coming up so i'll see you out on the road everybody bye <laughs>